and so forth. But now they look online, and because of the way the room is lit and so forth, it looks as if, all we can see is the first couple rows, right now people online think there's 12 of us that go to Freedom Center Church. Now I know, I know, you don't want to be seen on camera. I know the preacher has a terrible bad breath problem and he spits when he preaches. However, please fill in these front rows every Sunday and everybody said... We'll see, we'll see, right? Uh, the second thing is this. People are wondering, why are we wearing pajamas on Christmas Eve and why are we eating Chinese food? You ever see the movie, The Christmas Story? So years ago, when uh, the Hathons had little girls that are now my daughter-in-law and so forth, uh, we said, hey, let's go have uh, Christmas Day. Let's go have Chinese food together. And he said, okay, our greatest. And, and we'll go in our pajamas. Now, he, he did not know until I got out of the car whether or not I was kidding him as to whether I was going to wear pajamas or not. So I said, let's we'll go in pajamas. And we said, get there. And they're inside the car watching us. We're looking at them. And all of a sudden, our doors open up. And they all jump out and start laughing. I'm like, what are you laughing at? And Les said, I got a pair of pants in the back. I'm ready for you, just in case you're being a, a weekend again, you know. So we're going to, it's, it's been a tradition for years. How many of you guys have ever been to one of our wear your pajamas to Chinese food on Christmas Day traditions? Anybody in this room? It's, it literally has been thousands through the years. We decided because all the good Chinese food is in China, that we would make good Chinese food here on Christmas Eve day, wear pajamas, and just have a blast. It's going to be for the whole family, your kids, and it's going to be kind of Charlie Brown meets the book of Matthew. So I hope you guys will come and be a part of that. You guys ready to get in the Word today? Say amen. Here we go. Okay, so people have said, it's funny, I, I talk a lot about purpose. You may or may not have noticed it. And people say, is it really that big of a deal that I know where I'm going? It's, it, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like looking at a marksman and saying, is it really that big a deal that you aim before you shoot? It, it really is. Matter of fact, I put up that picture of the boat. I, I think that a lot of people, like, like their life is like this. It's beautifully built. It's fearfully, it's wonderfully made. It's gorgeous to look at. There it is in the harbor. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful, right? The whole Stevie Wonder thing, there it is. And it looks so pretty sitting there against the dock. And here's the problem. That ship was not created to be in port, that ship was created to sail the seven seas. That, that ship has a destiny that far exceeds its, its comfort as it exists tied up to the pier. And, and, and I would say this too. I think many of us are far more created for the open sea than we are for the port. But that's a safe place. And you know what's going to happen. And the storms can't get you. And every day is kind of like the last. And it took a long time to build this thing and a long time to find the right place to park it. And now it's in a safe place. And every time I come to the church gym, you're trying to shove me back into the sea. Hear my heart. If I didn't think you were created for the sea, I'd celebrate with you in the port. But many of you are created to do the things we now admire. Clara's Hope, what a great ministry. I, she must have just been given that. She has a degree in Clara's Hopeness. No sacrifices, no challenges, no leaps of faith for her or her family. It's just been wonderful. She said, I want to help people. And suddenly a millionaire wrote her a check and people showed up. No, it was a dream that made her leave everything that was secure, that made them, the entire family, leave everything that was secure to say, we will take care of, of a terminally ill child and we will make her our daughter. And from that, a ministry was born. I made this mistake one time of looking at Tammy and saying, I don't think I could be a foster parent. I, it'd just be too hard you know, when they went back to their family and her response is a classic. She said, oh, I, I didn't know foster parenting was about you. And you go, oh, am I even saved? I don't know, man, I'm trying, you know. Sometimes you're on people like, and what she's saying is this, there's a life in the sea. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, there's risks. But it's better to be what you're created to be than it is to be in port pretending to be something else. You're created for a reason. We know this, right? 
So I hope that today, one last attempt to get you to push away from the dock, to untie the ropes, to lift your sails, one if none, but just raise one, grab a hold of the wheel and start going towards a preferred destination. Are you going to the front seat? You guys are going to heaven. Good neighborhood, I'm telling you. You're going to love it. I'm, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you a line that you may or may not be okay with. But if you thought that my job was to make you happier when you left than when you came in, you misunderstood my role. My role is to make you comfortable where you've been wounded and to make you wounded where you're now comfortable. So here, here's a line for you to consider. Put up there, guys. It says this, too many believers in Jesus wrongly assume they don't have to also be followers of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That's great. So does the devil. I believe in Jesus. That's, that's great. A lot of people believe in Jesus, and yet there's no marked change from that belief. It's faith, but there's no works. Does that make sense? So I, I am basically who I was. I do basically what I did. I just, I just get the comfort of now when my life ends, I get to go to heaven because he paid the price for my sins. Well, I'm not demeaning that. That's a beautiful thing. But how many guys know he didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. That, that thought that I, I, will, I will follow him to heaven but not follow him through hell is an erroneous, bad calculation. The Christian life never promises you peace comfort, safety, as we understand it in this world. It, plan, it promises all those things in the next and, and a, a version of it, a kingdom version of it in this life. But for us to say, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm here to do. I'm just going to kind of, you know, I'm just here for the beer until it's time to get out of here. It's like, stop. This is, not a, this is not a frat party. This is everything that leads up to all time and will be judged by every word, every deed, every thought, everything we did that we should and everything we shouldn't that we did. Jesus has taken the consequence of our sin, but now we're preparing for this beautiful awards banquet in heaven where we did it. We made the team. Thank you, Jesus. But now I want to score some touchdowns. And that's coming from a guy who was in the pep band. So I think that was all right. Matt, was that true? The way I said it? Okay, good. The awards banquets I have, they're like, thanks for not being such a loser. So look at, look at this next picture of the ship. So this ship. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship. Look at that. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. That's your natural state. That's, that's life and life to the full, John 10, 10. That's, that's being a new creature, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's John 3, 3. That's being born again. The Christian life doesn't look like something beautiful in port. It looks like something dangerous at sea. Amen. You have to amen it. It's, it's good when it gets really solid like that and people are like, Dang, I thought he was going to be nice today. Why did I invite my neighbor today? He's being so mean. You got your turkey. Come on, here we go. <laughs> so we've talked about your passion. We've talked about your pain. And lastly, we're going to talk about your proficiency. What is it that just comes naturally to you? What's your God-given proficiency? What, what are you gifted at? What abilities has God given you that require little effort that others just don't have? Do you ever marvel at the people like they can sing and they can play an instrument and they can, like Ringo. How did Ringo play the drums and sing? I have no idea. How do the people up here, you know, there are notes that people hit up here that I've never heard before. How do you, how do, you do that? How do you do that? You know, so, well, I just exhaled and it came out. When I exhale, stuff comes out too. I don't know if you ever noticed, but as I come in for worship, I've been having a hard time getting to my seat lately because the altars are full of worshiping young people. I love that, right? I'll, I'll, but I, as I kind of found my spot and I started singing, I opened my eyes and everybody moved about four feet out of the circle. Of where I like, would I, do I spit down too or whatever? Do I smell? And I was just worshiping. I think part of it is I like to sing what I call gym harmonies or what the psalmist calls a joyful noise under the Lord. They are, in fact, notes of some sort. 
They just don't necessarily fit into this, right? You have other people like, like we talk about what was your passion? We had a list, pain, what's your list, proficiency. I, I remember I met a guy in Arkansas. I'm sorry, I was in Alabama. He was from Arkansas and he was one of the wisest men I ever met. And what, what was interesting about him is if you met him, you think maybe he was a guy that, you know, plowed with some donkeys or maybe he was a guy that, you know, um, worked with his hands for a living. But when he opened his mouth, it was like heaven, heaven knew what to say. And I've been wrestling. My wife will tell you, for 20 years, I was wrestling with a theological idea. I couldn't, I couldn't quite get to the place where I could teach this congregation about generosity because I'd seen it so misused in my younger days that every time I brought up any scripture on giving, I felt like there, you would look at me like I once looked at others. And as it turned out, the way I looked at them was true. There was a lot of misspending, a lot of bad things happening in the 80s and the whole televangelist. If you're not old enough, don't worry about it. But it's just like, I don't want to talk about that because if I break a trust when it comes to this, it breaks a trust when it comes to the gospel. So I just won't talk about it. And I'm wrestling with this. Dina's saying, why don't you talk more about giving? Pastor Jason says, why don't you talk more about giving? And I said, why don't you go pastor a church somewhere where you can do it right, Pastor Jason? You know what I mean? And, and uh, all this stuff. But I, I was wrestling with it and I went to a place and they were talking about this very issue and I'm like, I just, I just can't do it, guys. And so I'm, I'm sitting there in a rocking chair in Alabama the next morning, and this Arkansas pastor sits down. He gets out his Bible. And mind if I read next to you? I'm like, do you spit when you read? Like, why? it's fine. And so he, he reads for a little while. I read for a little while. He takes his glasses off. He looks at me and says, what are you struggling with? Oh, ask my wife. There's a list. You know what I mean? Um, and he said, no, about this. You've been wrestling since you got here. So I said, well, here's my problem. When you deal with this issue... Like, if I go this far, man, it's just like, I, I don't want to be that guy. And if I go this far, then nothing happens. I don't know what to do. And he, he, he just, he kind of goes, huh. Puts his glasses on, looks back at his Bible and says, well, seems to me, Jim, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. I guess I'd just stay out of the ditch. And as simple and stupid as that sounds, it solved a 20-year theological crisis in my heart. <laughs> I'm like, just, just talk more. I can understand most of your words. Uh, making friends. My stepdad could just walk up to a tree stump and be on a first name basis. JD had never met a stranger. When he came out of his mother's womb, he shook the doctor's hand and got his phone number. It's just, he's just always been that way. Athletics, mathematics, entrepreneurship, self-discipline, self-discipline. You think about Pastor Jason. You know, how's your day been so far? It's like nine o'clock in the morning. How's your day been so far? He's like, you know, I got up at four and I, I drank a shake made of grass clippings. I, uh, I, uh, I did 600 sit-ups and memorized the book of Leviticus. How's your day? It's like, not, not as good. Self-discipline, you know, how do you, how do, you do that, right? Um, management, people walk into chaos and go, okay, you, you, and you follow me. Next thing you know, what, what was like, uh, you know, a bunch of preschoolers on crack has now become this organized thing. How did they, how did, they do that? Problem solving, ministry opportunities and seeing them, leadership, you know, I, I don't mean to brag on my wife, but I'm going to brag on my wife. So I'm going to face you so I can't see her. But the, the last Thursday, 500 people came to dinner. And people who'd never worked together before worked together. And in like eight minutes, fed 500 meals hot on people's tables. How does that work? My answer is, I don't know. But I worked very, very hard to get her to marry me. And I haven't really had to work that hard since because of that gift. My friend Dan Abel talks about people that he hires and he says they have the sales gene. They just know how to sell. They're just, they believe in the product. They know how to close a deal. It's just, you can't teach that. They have it or they don't. I guess understand what I'm saying? There's various proficiencies that people just have. Do you see that? 
And you know, they say, well, that person's just this, or she's just so that, or he's just so this. But, but please don't misunderstand that somehow that, that's an erroneous fact. That's an important clue. What our passion is, what our pain is, and what our proficiency is, all comes together to form some sort of a picture. Let me, let me show you a couple times in Scripture where God really, really gave somebody something they didn't have. They weren't, they weren't like born with it. It was revealed in time, but they really just blew up the world. You don't, you've never heard of this guy. Uh, his name is Basilel, which sounds like, do you suffer from occasional irregularity? Try Basilel. It, but Basilel, which in Hebrew means to the passage of, I'm kidding, it doesn't mean that. Um, but it, uh, it, he, you've never heard of him, but you've heard of his work. So Exodus chapter 35, verse 30, follow me. Then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Basilel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he's filled him with the Spirit. The first time anybody in Scripture is described as Spirit-filled, it's this guy. He's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's a craftsman. Watch what he does here. Um, he's filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skill to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, bronze, to cut set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he's given both him and Ohio State of Amtrak, um, <laughs> Oholiab, son of a Hissamak. <laughs> okay, Ohio State of Amtrak, of the tribe of Dan, and he's given them the ability to teach others. Now these others, he's filled them with skill, all of them. God's filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and blue and purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Now, now get this, they were slaves, like a few weeks before this, they're not gold things. They're not stone people. They're, they're not embroiderers. These are men who were forced to labor to feed and build the Egyptian culture. They're, they're not craftsmen. They're just men. And then God puts something on them and gives them an ability. I mean, you guys know we're all created to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. These guys, he just gave it to them. I don't know, I got this gold, what are we gonna do with it? Basil goes, I, you know, let me give it a try. He sits down, starts melting stuff, pounding stuff, moving stuff. And before he's done, he can craft what only heaven has seen prior to that moment. He takes earthly things and he crafts the implements of the tabernacle from various kinds of metal, various kinds of instruments, various kinds of, of musical things and, and uh, big giant forks and pots and all the stuff that God saw in heaven from the beginning of time, he gives to Basilel and Basilel and his group, Ohio State from Amtrak, they put this group together this, and they, they figure it all out from slavery to the greatest craftsmen of their day. How? Because God gave them a proficiency. Do you see that? That's a God-given proficiency. Do you see that? When Megan sings, God-given proficiency. When, when, when uh, you know, uh, just say, like, like, do you like books that are written by dead Catholics 150 years ago? To me, if there's not a scratch and sniff section in the back of it, I have no interest in it. But Ian is a scholar. When, when you, what is it that God gave you? So I just, I got nothing but, you know, 75 years of living. Like, what did God give you in 75 years that everybody needs you to give today? You are somebody. And so God gave you a passion, a pain, and a proficiency. Look at Solomon. I love this. I just sent this verse to a, a friend of mine just this morning because I, I saw him in, these, in this text. First Kings 
chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to go from chapter 3 in a moment down to chapter 10. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask whatever you want me to do. What do you want me to give you? And Solomon answered, man, ah, oh God, you, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son, that's uh, me, to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant, I think you've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. And he, almost like he leans in and whispers so no one else can hear, but I'm only a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, far too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now look at this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this and he sent his helicopter to get him evidently. If you're online, you're like, oh, is that funny? There's a helicopter that's going by. It's the medevac. You hear the rotor speed? That's the medevac. Every time you hear that sound, you pray for people because they're in trouble. So for who's able to govern this people? Listen, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life for yourself, you didn't treat me like a genie in a bottle. I wasn't Robin Williams coming out of a lamp, right? Or for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. But you've asked for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you've asked. And you gotta remember that because that plays into the last of this. I will do what you've asked. Because of what you asked for, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart that will, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Be. Now fast forward from chapter three to chapter 10, one verse, here it is. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had placed in his heart. God put wisdom in Solomon's heart. Do you see that? God put skill in Amtrak's hands. God, God put something inside of you. You've approached it your whole life and people are like, oh, he's just really athletic. Oh, she's just really funny. He's just really good at art. She just, she can sit all day long and count column after column after column of numbers. You know, it's funny. I don't know why, but I just trust that person. God has put something inside of you that is destined for his glory through you. Your obedience going out to sea and the wind that he puts in your sails creates a motion called abundant life. This is what God has called you to. And we see this even in the writing of the Gospels. You guys got time for more illustration? How many of you guys, I, I got nine minutes. I think I started my sermon this time last week. One, just one more quick illustration. It only take another 40 minutes to conclude the last 10 minutes of my message. But listen to this. Matthew, the writer of the Gospel, he, he was a tax collector. So the dude was accountable to people for money. He knew every penny, where it was, what it was, when it was. He was, he was all about money. So when there's a gospel that needs to be written, look, he has this attention to detail. You ever tried to read the New Testament? Well, I'll just start in the book of Matthew. And it's like, you know, Barney begat Bam Bam and Bam Bam begat Fred and Fred begat Pebbles and Pebbles begat Wilma. I'm like, why are we doing this? Because... There's, there's a prophecy about being the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, that the Messiah would be. And so Matthew, as an accountant would, accounts for everything in the opening segment of his gospel. Do you see that? Mark. Mark, we, they call his gospel the gospel of the Gentiles. Why? Because Mark, Mark was John Mark. He traveled, nephew of Barnabas, goes with Saul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And he's never seen a miracle before. But man, every place he goes, like blind eyes are opening up, demons are coming out. There's a revival or there's a riot or some days both. So he had this marvel of just 
the power of God and what it does in somebody's life. So when Mark writes the gospel of Mark, what's it all about? Over and over again, read the gospel of Mark as opposed to Matthew. Matthew's like, there were 432 people there. And Mark's like, there was a big miracle. It was awesome. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but he literally says, and the people marveled, and the people were amazed, and the people stood in awe. He doesn't mention as much about compassion. That we get from the Gospel of John. But look at the Gospel of Luke first, the Gospel of Luke. He's a historian. He, he's a medically trained, Hippocratic oath kind of a guy. He probably knew Hippocrates. So he's like, I, I know what to do. A plus B equals a well person. A plus C, I kill my patient. And so when Luke writes his gospel with all that eye for detail, it's just who he is. But as he tells the story his way, we get during this time, during the rule of this, when this person was king at this date and this time. Do you realize archaeologists don't waste their time with the book of Mark, but they scour the book of Luke. Why? Because Luke gives all the account, all the detail. If it wasn't for Mark's miracles and Matthew's detail to genealogy and Luke's detail to the narrative story and John's heart, because he loved Jesus so much and was such a man known for love, we would have missed out on so much. What I'm trying to say is this. Do you see that that's who they were? And as they told their same story about Jesus, it looked completely different because it came through who God made them to be. Same story, but from completely different angles. Back to the question. Here we go. You ready? What is your God-given proficiency? I don't think there's anything that men have made with their hands that Grandpa Joe can't fix with his. I don't think there's a person so far, so crusty, so hard that one of Miss Pat's hugs wouldn't melt their heart. I don't know anybody that's a better parent than that lady, so thank you so much. That was so quick. Don't spike the ball, but that was a touchdown. Good job. Where's it come from? God gave you grace to be who he's created you to be so you can glorify him with it. What's your proficiency? What comes naturally to you? What are you gifted at? What abilities has God given you with little effort you accomplish things that people put much effort to and can't do it as well? Look, look at this next slide because I think this will help us. So we have this thing, right? Three weeks of teaching. What's your passion? What's your pain? And what's your proficiency? I, I think the answer to those questions are interesting. But here, here's the problem. I don't, I, I don't want to say, and if you know what your passion is, you found yourself. Because I, I think passion without pain will quit way too soon succeed way too often in a way that really isn't success. I think proficiency without pain, you're just really good at what you're passionate about. I think they all play together. Show the next slide. So we, we kind of do it this way. There's this sweet spot where the circle of your passion, the circle of your pain, the circle of your proficiency overlap in a certain area. That's probably like a radioactive sign, isn't it? Or something I. Somebody, it was a Venn diagram, but when I always see it, I always think like it's a gorilla with, a, with an X nose charging me for some reason. The gorilla of destiny. Do you, do you see it? Or the sloth taking a nap. Do you see it too? You have to have a 3D eyeball like mine. But, but if you can answer where those three things overlap, I'm passionate about this. And man, I, it relieves the pain that's in my heart. My God pain when I get to do this. And by the way, I, I'm just gifted at it. Then I think we're really talking about something. Um, I'll say one last thing. Just everybody turn towards that for a second. Don't look at me so I have a, a minute just to scratch my nose and get that hair out. <laughs> what if tomorrow you could wake up and that X is where you would wake up? Right in the middle of the things you just love to do. Solving the problems you hate to see and you're the best you know. What would that look like? 
What, how would your life be different tomorrow morning than it was this morning? How would you be a world changer tomorrow that you're just a world participant in today? What would your soul feel like waking up to that rather than waking up to other things? When I was a child, I fought to stay awake every single night because life was just that good. And I got out of bed just as soon as I could because cartoons were on the one channel that we had. I became a teenager. I stayed up a little later and I slept a little later. Then I became an adult with addiction issues. I just wanted to sleep all the time. But when I found Jesus, or when I, by the way, when I came back to Jesus in the military, my life began to change. And, And when I found my purpose, everything changed. I enjoy a good nap just like everybody else. That's why God created turkeys. And I, I mean your grandkids, not just the ones you eat, but I mean just the turkeys in, of your life, right? We, we had them for three hours yesterday. They barely stayed awake on the way home. As we got in the car, we were driving back and it was so quiet. I told Dean, I just said, it's just so quiet without them. Isn't this nice? <laughs> About seven o'clock, we're eating dinner, you know, watching the ball game or whatever. And then, I'm like, what time? I, she goes, what time I go to bed tonight? I looked at the clock, I said, 7.04, you know? But I, I, I fell asleep Friday night knowing my grandbabies are coming tomorrow. How many of you guys would like to wake up every day like it's grandbaby day? How many like to wake up every day like it's Cedar Point trip day? Wake up every day like it's wedding day. Wake up every day like it's a day that God has designed. It's almost as if this is the day that the Lord has made. Not that I made. Not that the world made for me. But this is the day the Lord has made. And so my response is to rejoice and to be glad in it because I'm so grateful that I get to live my life today. Does this make sense to you? And I can hear the pushback because I've heard thousands of times, literally thousands of times. Yeah, but I'd have to go back to school. Yeah, but I'd have to risk everything. Yeah, but it's too late. Yeah, it's too soon. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm not enough that. And I get that. But just, just for the sake, just for fun, there's no calories in a dream. Did you know that? You can't get fat dreaming. There's no cholesterol in dreams. So your, your, your arteries won't clog. Just how many guys, like, let me just, oh, I want to say this right. Some of us have struggled so long for so many things that our souls are so dead, we don't even want to hope anymore because past hopes have been so disappointing that we just choose not to again. Do it one more time, will you? One more time. What would life look like tomorrow? You have a God-given superpower called dreaming. You have the ability, and the only thing that God ever created that has this ability, he has it, you have it, nothing else he created has it. And that's the ability to envision a tomorrow that's different from today. And then reverse engineering back to the place that you are to begin to walk in a direction of what you've seen with your imagination. How important is our imagination? It's vital. It's, it's so important. Hopes and dreams are almost synonymous, are they not? I have hopes and dreams. When you're a young person, you need to have hopes and dreams. When you're an old person, you have hopes and dreams. When you're a young mother and you know, those 14 kids are all screaming at the same time, like hopes and dreams. When they go off to college, you can't afford it, hopes and dreams. When they bring the grandkids, hopes and dreams. When the grandkids go home, naps. But then hopes and dreams. What I'm saying is this, hope and dream, like you have this ability for a tomorrow that's different from today. And if you can see it, you can begin to chart your course towards it. Listen, guys, you, you gotta hear me. Columbus didn't have a map. He had a dream. I, I think of other people like Martin Luther King. What's his famous line? I have a... Because he had a dream, a generation got the dream with him because he shared that dream. The Wright brothers didn't have a blueprint. They had a dream. 
I believe that if we just, instead of the wing and the lift, what if we had a propeller and we attach it to an engine and we were willing to risk everything every time? We experimented with gliders. They didn't, they didn't have a blueprint. They had a dream. And that dream became manned-powered flight. Solomon had a dream that his father had given to him, not a religious duty. Listen, what you're a part of right now, you may or may not know it, but long before this was Freedom Center Church, this was a dream. 61, 62 years ago, there's a handful of families, the McCollum's called the district office in Farmington Hills. They sent out Brother Drake. He made it about three weeks and they fired him. So they said, well, you need to send out somebody tougher than Brother Drake because those people are mean. And uh, so they sent out F.E. Burke and Fenton had met its match. This used to be a vacant field where the KKK burned their crosses. Now it's a place where people from all generations, all races gather to worship the one true God. But that was a dream before it was a building. The denomination they were part of, it was a dream before it was a building. Your family was a dream before it was a family. Every, don't underestimate. It's too hard, I get disappointed. Stop. If God has created you for something, then you're not fighting the devil, you're not fighting the world, you're not fighting your past. You're fighting God. And I would rather fight with him than against him any day. He's a lot more fun on my side. Piano guy, join me if you would. Um, Last important question. Nah, we'll just end. I guess I've said enough, and I've said it long enough, and I've said it fast enough and slow enough and loud enough and funny enough and mean enough that by now you have enough to think about. But I would just simply say this. Does your life look like a ship in the harbor, a ship that's anchored, a ship in a storm, a ship at sea? Does it, does it look like a pile of wood in a dream? Does it look like a bunch of chains and a big piece of metal that might be an anchor someday if you pound it on hard enough? I don't know where you are. I just know this. Living is movement. Living is faith. Living is seeing what hurts others and letting it hurt you. Seeing is knowing who God made you to be with your passions. I love this. I I don't want to deny this. I don't want to go do something I don't want to do so that I get to do something for three minutes a week that I was born to do. I know there's costs. I know there's risks. I know there's changes, but I, I would just say this. There's one last thing we should probably do, and that's have a Carrie Underwood moment. Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I've been steering this thing and shifting this thing and directing this thing. I'm not even sure I ever looked at the GPS. I've just been going in the direction that's seen most of this or less that. But I I think it's time to make some decisions that ships at sea should make, not just ships and ports should make. If we don't put Jesus right in the middle of this whole thing, if Jesus isn't under that X of your life, then it doesn't work anyway. So Matthew chapter six, verse 31 says this, don't worry. But what am I gonna do? Don't worry. But how am I gonna fix this? Don't worry. But how do I gonna do it? What about school? Don't worry. Listen, the first thing Jesus says about changing your life is don't worry. If you face it with fear, you'll never do it. If you face it with faith, you can't fail. Trust him. Don't worry. Saying, what are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna wear? We embellish. What are we gonna live in? What's gonna happen to our debt? What about my 401? We gotta go down to one car? What if I do it and it doesn't work? Because listen, the pagans are running after all this stuff. People that don't have a God or people that worship everything that aren't gods, they run after all this stuff. And your, your heavenly father knows that you need them. So what do we do? Well, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Everybody say all these things. They're given to you. This is your Solomon moment. Ask me for anything and I will give it to you. 
Ask me for anything. What do you want? You can say, rub the lamp. I want long life. Oh, the death of, of, of you know, my, my enemies. Oh, I want, I want a bunch of money. Oh, I'm hungry. I want a bunch of bunny. Or you can say, what I want is what you want. I've chosen to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, not my kingdom and my fame. And if you do that, you'll, you'll feel something maybe your soul's never felt before. All of a sudden, that, that steadiness you get when you're tied up to port becomes kind of a rocking motion and there's some momentum and you start to get a little nauseous. Welcome. The life of faith has seasickness and motion and rests and whales and mermaids and legends and it's beautiful. Or you can stay in port. But you know what the number one regret is of the dying? book was just written, The Five Regrets of the Dying. She's been a hospice nurse for eight years. She wrote it down. The number one regret is this. I never really got a chance to live my life. The life that I believe I was created to live. The number one regret of the dying is not that they're dying. It's that they haven't yet begun to live. And it's over. Lyndon, we're going to turn you loose. Pastor Jason, if you'll stop doing sit-ups for just a minute drinking grass clippings move up to the front there I know you've moved on to Deuteronomy you're memorizing the book of Deuteronomy now so God bless you guys we love you have fun let's land the plane here Um, believe in Jesus yes important believe in him enough to follow him very different question believe in him yep salvation eternal soul you know said the spell raise the hand fled from hell spill out the card consistent in church once every three months whether I need it or not I come here you know I'm excited about my life that's great but Jesus didn't say enjoy me as much as he said follow me discipleship doesn't happen in the port it happens at sea that'll be scary oh yeah <laughs> yeah two kids young wife church full of the meanest Christians I ever met in my life and she left everything to follow me as we followed Christ together. Now we've been here 28 years. And there's still, believe it or not, there's still seas we haven't explored yet. And just tomorrow, we're going to go take a look at some things. Can't talk about it quite yet. doesn't involve us doing anything that you wouldn't normally see us doing. But it's, it's another substantial series of risks that have presented themselves to us. And we're praying about these things because it's, you just don't want to say no to Jesus. Amen. Well, why would you risk this? Why would you move that? What if, what if it dilutes? What if it pollutes? Yeah, but, but what if it's obedience? And God just wants to move in another place, in another way, in another time, in another... You know what I'm talking about? So we're not, we're not leaving the church. If you're like, oh, it's too bad. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're staying until you guys kick us out, you know? And by then, I won't even know who you are. My, my marbles will be on the floor and you can just... I'm just happy to be alive, you know? So we're staying until Jesus comes home or takes us home. But I, I just say this, man, I... It's shocking how the life of faith never ends. Tammy, you done believing God for things? No. Tom Mallon, where's your bearded face at? There you go. You done believing God for things? No. Back room ministry's gonna grow. You know, I, I look around. Ian and Megan, you guys done believing God for things? You sure you got a good safe position here? People love you. They hear notes they don't hear anywhere else that you know the, the numbers add up at the end of the month? No. Grandpa Joe, some things broken you might want to get around to fixing. Maybe in the third world country somewhere. Can you imagine? You in a place that they'd never seen a person like you before walking up and fixing stuff that broke 100 years ago. And, you know, you you guys see what I'm saying? Pat Whiting, you want to build some more buildings in the third world? You know, we're not done. So if it feels comfy and cushy and relaxing and safe, then you're not believing in Jesus 
in a way that makes following mandatory. You're believing him in a way where I'll go to heaven someday. And I'll just close with this thought. You will go to heaven someday because of what he has done for you. And I'm so grateful. How about you? But remember, part of the equation is not you going to heaven. It's also you bringing heaven to earth. So Father, I pray that as our time expires here, God, I just, I ask that you would do such amazing things. There's dreams in people's hearts. They've been there for a long time. Some have been there for a few moments. Some happened during the message today, I believe. Some came back into our remembrance in the middle of this thing, the things we used to dream when we were young and foolish. Father, I pray that the seeds of your dreams would find ready soil in our souls and we believe in you for salvation. We believe in you for the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We believe in your word. And we wouldn't just believe in the sense of, yep, we believe. We believe that our, our faith would become our deeds. Our convictions will become our causeways, God. I, I pray, I pray that our ears would hear the sounds of a billion lost people crying out, if there is a God, then why? If there is a God, then when? If there is a God, then where? I know there's people in this room, they're in this room, but they're not supposed to stay in this room. They're supposed to answer the prayers that have been prayed. They're supposed to be your answers sent. There's orphans. There's people that are hurting. There's people that are lost. There's people that are scared. There are people that are hungry. In 48430, and all creation waits with eager expectation for the sons, the daughters of God to be revealed. So I pray, reveal us. Reveal you through us. If you're here today and you're not right with God, um, and I don't mean like you, you're, you're three degrees off. I mean, you're 180 degrees in the wrong direction. You're walking away from God, not to him. Or today, maybe is the first day I even thought about it. Is there a God? And if so, what does that mean? Just hear my heart. No one can fix themselves. The, the cry of humanity is for swimming lessons when the need of humanity is a lifeguard. Someone who will dive into where we are swim to where we are, meet us where we are, rescue us where we are and get us to a place where we can stand on our own two feet, maybe even learn how to be a lifeguard ourselves someday. That's exactly what God did when he sent his son Jesus into this world. There wasn't 10 more commandments because the last 10 weren't quite sufficient. They were, they were more than sufficient, just we couldn't, we couldn't live them. So we learned we didn't need lessons, we needed a savior. And God so loved the world that he gave his one, his only son, Jesus Christ to be that Savior. He dove headfirst from the eternal glories of heaven through the birth canal of a virgin into the feed trough of a donkey. That's quite a day. He knows hunger, pain, temptations of every sort. And yet where we gave in to those temptations, the Son of God never did. And that qualified him in his pure state to be a sacrifice for the impurities of all mankind. And he dies a sinner's death and gives eternal life to those who believe him. So if you're done trusting yourself that way, I'm good enough. I'm gonna do better next year. My New Year's resolutions are coming up. I'm gonna try harder. I, I get all those things. I've told myself all those lies. But if what you need today is not another swimming lesson, but you need a lifeguard, someone who came to this world for the sole purpose of rescuing you from you, then Jesus is the savior of the world. Put your trust in him. I trust that you are enough, God. Jesus, I trust that you've done enough. I trust that your love is inexhaustible. 
and I am not beyond it. I have not exhausted. I'm, I'm square in the middle of it because it's, it's infinite. So no matter where I stand in every direction, I'm in the middle of the greatest love that will ever be known by any soul. From that love now, will you respond to him? Jesus, I, I give you my past, all my yesterdays. I trust in you to be my savior. I, I trust in you to rescue me. Like, like put your arm around my throat and just start, start swimming back towards shore because I can't find it. And I'm dying out here alone. Help me now. Forgive me my sins. Wash me clean. Make me born all over again. Fill me with your spirit. Come on, tell him right now. That's what I'm asking you for today, God. If you prayed that prayer, then you can tell me what God saved you from. You'll think of the specific sins and instances where you were helpless, where his strength came in, where his grace overtook and won the battles. But I have a second question for you, and that's just simply this. What do you think he saved you for? The adventure's begun. Push away from the dock, lift those sails, chart a course, and live for Jesus. Come on, right now. Father, I pray that you would bless us with purity and destiny because we are created to sail in the dangerous waters and rescue the perishing ourselves. Here is our lives. Say this with me right now to Jesus. Please. Say, Jesus, here's my life. Past, present, and for all time. That's our heart. The adventure has begun. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right. You're going to stand to your feet and start leaving anyway. So stand to your feet. No one leave quite yet. Before you leave this room, I have an assignment for you. You're such a good mama. You did that so fast. I can't believe that. I think it was like two little quick eh, and out the door. Amazing. It's like, it's like calling a buffet in front of a bunch of teenagers. She moved that quick. It was awesome. Um, before you leave, would you just find two or three people and maybe ask them, maybe just one, where are you going to be when you grow up? Where do your three circles overlap? If you were to really trust God and push out, what would that look like? And, and I think it takes it from this thing that we did to this thing that we know to this thing that we might become. Something happens when we put words behind dreams. She was a dream. And then I asked her out. Hallelujah. So you got a dream. You ready to talk about it? And I don't really know what to dream. Talk about it. Maybe someone knows three circles and they can help you with this. You good? All right. Last thing. Live long and prosper. God bless you. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, altar workers are coming forward. Love to pray for you this morning. And uh, we'll see you again soon.